Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. Today's message is overcoming this world. Overcoming this world. Now, there's a little bit of teaching I want to do here first because I want to set things up. First of all, there's a difference between the earth and the world, okay? A lot of times we think of it as one and the same. It's not. The earth is, is the, you know, is the globe. You go to, go to the moon, you've seen the pictures, that is the earth. And the Bible says the earth is the Lord and everything in it. It, it belongs to God. So the earth is God's. It's, all, it's part of God's creation. But the world is different, especially as it's, as it's written in the scriptures. Uh, See, we live on earth, but we live in the world. So there's a difference there. Scripture tells us, Jesus even said it, that Satan has dominion in the world. He has dominion over the world. Again, so we live in the world, which means that we live in an atmosphere where there are systems and there are spiritual governances that come from hell. That's why there's always this conflict between light and dark in this world. But scripture also tells us we are not of the world. This is not our home. Uh, And so we are, as believers, we are not of the ways of the world, the systems, the mindsets of the world. We are actually ambassadors of Christ into the world. So it's like we're from another world. We are. We are otherworldly. Did you know that? You're from another world. Okay. Uh, You're aliens, uh, but the real aliens are right here. Okay. That's 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 well actually it does say in the bible we are aliens but and not the kind not not et okay not not like that or not like alien the movie it's so uh don't don't get don't don't take that too literal there's a lot more to explain there but see we are here on this earth we we have come from the presence of god we're here on this earth to be his ambassadors all right but here's the deal the philosophies the mindsets uh even the poison of the world will get itself onto us just because we're here. It like rubs off on us, especially, uh, the Bible says, especially really at the very end of time, which I believe that's where we are, speaks of powerful delusions that will get on us and will poison people and, and cause people to think wrong according to the systems of the world. And that's where we actually get the word worldly. It's, it's that it means of the world, and that's where sin comes in. I was, I was out with Preston yesterday, and we were shooting at the, at the range. And, uh, and so you shoot for an hour with your, with your handgun, and, and what's going to happen is you're going to get lead on your hands, all right? And at the very end, I looked, and you know, I, could, I could see the lead on my hands. I could see it was there. So I don't want to get lead poisoning. So what I do is as soon as you walk out, you immediately go to this nice little sink they have set up in these places, and you get your soap and your water, and you scrub off all the lead, and then like, yay, I'm lead free. So, so be quiet. It's because you don't want to be poisoned by it. So I was in a place that, that could have poisoned me, and the poison got on me, but I washed it off. Now, that is actually uh, an image of how we have to live within this culture, and that's why, again, gathering together, seeking God daily, our prayer, our worship, and being in the Word is so critical because the poison of the world, the worldliness gets on us, okay? 
So, so I am challenging you. I'm starting a new series of message to, messages today where I'm challenging you to be not of this world, to actually be an overcomer of this world, which is, which is the, uh, the, the main title here for this series. Now, uh, the Bible tells us that in the book of Revelation, Bible tells in the book of Revelation in chapter number 11, that eventually the kingdoms of the world, so the authority of the world, will be handed over to Jesus Christ. He, well, he will take it, all right? And we will take it with him. And, and so, you know, some people, especially it's political season now. In fact, it seems in America it's political season all the time. But uh, now it's, it's just like, wow. But, uh, but it's political season and people want to know where you stand politically. I'll tell you where I stand politically. You're ready for it. My political position is this. I am doing everything possible to see Jesus Christ on the throne in New Jerusalem when he rules and reigns over this entire world. He is my king. He is my Lord. He is my God. That is my, that is my position. So whatever I do on this earth, even however I vote or whatever I do on this earth, how I live my life has everything to do with that. All right? Now, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He's also known as John the Beloved. He was one who's probably like the best friend of Jesus of all the disciples. But at this time, Jesus had already left the earth and, and, uh, and years had gone by and John was now a political prisoner of the Roman Empire. And he was a political prisoner because he was doing something that the politicians didn't like. He was preaching Jesus. They didn't like that. And, and, uh, and I just believe very well that, that in, in days to come that, that we will see political prisoners for preaching Jesus right here in the United States. I, I actually believe that's because, I mean, that kind of stuff's in the word of God. So I'm not afraid of that. I just say, this is all already prophesied. But, but he was exiled on a Greek island, and that Greek island is named Patmos. It's still there, of course. It's a beautiful place. People like to go visit it. But in those days, it was essentially an Alcatraz. Uh, they would just put people on that island and they couldn't get off, all right? So that was kind of like a prison. You're exiled to Patmos. Here I go. I'm just going to walk around the island all day and kind of live. Uh, and so, so it's kind of like Castaway, except there's probably a little more civilization there. But he, they're stuck. He's a prisoner on this island. But while he was there, he received what is known as as the revelation of Jesus Christ. He received this revelation of Jesus Christ, which is how it's, uh, it's, it's, how it's titled. And at this time, he was told to write certain things and write what he saw. And in fact, he, God even dictated, Jesus even dictated to him stuff to write. Now, I want you to jump into Revelation chapter one, verse six, because I want you to see how all of this opened up. In fact, uh, Revelation 1, 9. He, he says, I, John... He's writing this now. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he's saying, I'm an Alcatraz because I was preaching Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. The Lord's day would have been Sunday. They called Sunday the Lord's day because that's the day Jesus came from, uh, resurrected from the dead. So on the Lord's day, in other words, Sunday, I was in the spirit. So he was worshiping. He was in the spirit. He was praying. His, his mind wasn't on anything around us. That's what happens like when we worship and pray. Sometimes those, like when, when we have prayer meeting here, uh, I, I just look forward to being in the spirit, just not worrying about anything. We're here. He says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, <laughs> that would have been loud, which said, write on a scroll what you see 
and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrga, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So what he did is he wrote this one document we know now, we call now the book of Revelation, which is actually called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. He wrote this one document and this document was sent then to go to these seven different churches. And, that's how, and, and so obviously they were able to send mail out of Patmos, but he was sent this document to these seven churches. And, it was, and so he goes on here to, to talk about this. So again, understand the book of Revelation was written to seven churches that existed back at that time. He said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Their hair on his head was white like wool. His eyes were as snow. His, his, uh, his, his eyes, I'm sorry, his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. <laughs> okay, that's an incredible moment right there. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And all this was important because it's what we're getting into here. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. We know the sword of the spirit is the word of God, all right? So coming out of his mouth is a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In other words, the presence of God was so strong, he couldn't stand up. He collapsed. He literally lost his ability to stand. He collapsed right in front of this man. He says, then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look. I am alive forever and ever. Who is that? That's Jesus, all right? He's seen Jesus years after he'd already ascended to the Father, and he used to be one of his disciples. He said, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Now listen to this, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this, and this is going to be our theme for the next few weeks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, that would actually be like pastors, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches, okay? Now hold your place. When I was younger, uh, probably even early on into my ministry years, I always felt like chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, uh, which are these individual addresses, letters essentially to these uh, churches, I felt like it was out of place from the rest of the book of Revelation. Like, what is this doing here? Why is this here? This is kind of like, like, let's get to the good stuff. Let's find out about the Antichrist. Let's find out about, you know, all these, these, uh, these bowls of wrath and, the, and all this, the return of the Lord in heaven. But... But you've got to understand, it's not out of place. 
this is one long document, big letter that was written to these, and these, each of these churches are addressed in these, these letters. And so these, these seven churches, which are found in Revelation 2 and 3, they were real legitimate churches, but they also, because this entire book is about the end of time, it's about what happens with, uh, right before uh, the, the return of Christ, during the return of Christ, and after the return of Christ, this, what, what we see here is very significant because this is actually the foundation of everything that, that you see that takes place in the book of Revelation. It was written to these churches, but it's also written, I believe, to the end time churches, which is us. See, Jesus, he, what he wanted to do is he wanted to communicate a very clear message to each of these churches to challenge them uh, to, so that they could also examine themselves so they could make some course corrections. And it was all within the context of understanding something's going to be happening in this earth. Something's about to happen. So you need to be ready. All right. And, uh, and so, so again, I believe that these seven legitimate churches represent seven end times churches as well. Now it's interesting as we go through each of these letters, we're just going to take one today but you will notice that there, that each one of them starts off with some positive characteristics. Uh, Jesus shares some very complimentary words with the church, and he displays his love for them, and, but he also corrects them as well. And you'll notice though, that he not only corrects them in some areas, which is, which is good to know, every one of these churches, they, they, they had some flaws. And so that helps us to know there is no perfect church, not even back then, okay? But it's kind of cool to get a letter from Jesus. This is literally what happened. John penned it. It's from Jesus, though. But, but you'll notice that he tells them not only what they need to correct, but he shares with them, here are the consequences that will happen to your church if you don't make these course corrections. Then he also says, but if you do make these course corrections, here is the blessing that you will get and you will be an overcomer. You'll be able to overcome the world. So he ends each one of these these addresses to each of these churches with a word of encouragement to them about how important it is that they go ahead and make some course corrections. So what we want to hear from God is what what the Spirit says to the seven churches. And we want to apply it not only to our church, to our congregation, but to our lives individually. Now, there is the common thread though. The common thread in each of these addresses to these churches is the term overcoming, to overcome, that they will be able to overcome. They will be overcomers if they do these things. Therefore, I'm focusing on the word overcoming because I believe God wants you to overcome this world. He does. Uh, I, I believe actually now more than ever before that we need to know how to overcome this world. The culture is going to tell you to overcome evil in this world, you need to do this, 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 and this, and this. That may not be exactly what's in here, all right? So am I going to listen to what the world's system or the culture says, or am I going to listen to what the Spirit of God says, what Jesus said to the end-time churches? Um, I'll choose Jesus, okay? I'll listen to that, but I'm going to digest what Jesus is saying to me, and I want you to do the same thing. Now, now, one of the, 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 the components here is this word overcoming, what it means. It, it talks about taking aggressive action. In fact, the definition of overcomer is this. It's this. It is one who prevails, subdues, conquers, and obtains victory. Now, take a second and write that down. This is good because these terms sound militaristic. 
because the truth is we are involved in spiritual warfare, but the weapons of our warfare are not AK-47s, okay? The weapons of our warfare are different. So you're going to learn about that in this series so that you can be one who prevails. You will be one who subdues. You will be one who conquers and you will be one who obtains victory in Jesus' name. See, our battle is not against people. Our battle is against the demonic forces of this world even today as we address the spirit of witchcraft. We're against not the person. They just need Jesus. We're, but we fight against the demonic forces that, that control the systems of this world. So to be an overcomer means that you are one who has prevailed, you have subdued the enemy, and you have conquered the enemy during these end times as a, when many people, the scriptures say, will be slipping away from the gospel message and you will obtain victory. I want that for you. And we are called to overcome this world, which means overcome the spiritual authority that governs this world. The church is the training place. It's the equipping place for this battle. And I'm going to be training you and equipping you for the next seven weeks. Now, back in those days, uh, they, there was like one church family per city. So there wasn't like, uh, like well, here's, uh, here's the, the City Life Church. I mean, it was just the city church, the church of the city for the whole city, okay? They didn't have it broken up the, the way we have it now. Uh, but, but, uh, but it was one church. And so the first church that we're going to look at today is the church that is in Ephesus. Ephesus eventually becomes the capital, kind of the headquarters of Christianity later on. History tells us that. Uh, there's a lot about Ephesus in the New Testament. There's a whole book of the Bible called Ephesians, which is Paul's letter to Ephesus. Timothy, who the first and second Timothy, those are also Paul's letter to him. He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so, so what we're going to see here is they're addressing, at, immediately you're going to see this when we start reading this, says to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now when he says the angel, he's not talking about a winged creature that's flying around. Uh, that's, that's not it. It's not a little cherub. It's, it's none of that. It's, and that term angel is actually a broad term. It means messenger. It means the mouthpiece of God. It's the one who's giving the word of God. Okay, that's what it means. So, so the messenger or the angel of this particular church that he's writing to, we actually can pretty much, pretty much say probably very most likely it was Timothy that he was actually writing to, but they didn't address him by the name, they just addressed him by the angel of that church. Okay, you ready? All right, let's get in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter two, verse one. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, this. Here we go. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Okay, remember? The seven, so the seven stars in his hand, those represent these seven angels or these seven pastors, okay? And the seven golden lampstands are the seven uh, church families in these, different, in these different cities. So these seven churches, these seven church families in these different ones. And I love it because it says, even though you, there, there are things that some of these churches are doing really messed up, <laughs> but it says he's walking among the lampstands. Isn't it beautiful? He's walking among the lampstands. He's walking among us, the church of Jesus Christ. He says now to this church, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, 
that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them as false. You have persevered, and you've endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Just pause right there. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like everything's going really good with them. I would love it if Jesus wrote me a letter like that and said, "Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Tim, just to let you know, uh, all this is going good. Like, yeah, thanks, thanks. You know, I'd I'd actually be getting pretty excited because what he's saying here is is the the life of the ministry and the church and, and the things that you're doing, a lot of good, you're doing actually pretty good. And so Jesus is saying, you're, you're doing a lot of good things. You're, you're working diligently. You aren't wearing out. And, uh, but, but then Jesus lovingly corrects. And he's lovingly correcting them, but he's also lovingly correcting us. Let's receive his love right now. Now, listen, he doesn't beat us up. He's going to talk about these good things. And here's what the Holy Spirit's speaking to us as well today. Again, again, keep in mind, he knows how hard you've been working for him. He knows you've been studying. He knows about your good deeds. He knows that you put up with a lot because of your faith. He knows of how you're wanting to go deeper in the word and you're not wearing yourself out. You're not just giving up. God is well aware of everything you're doing, okay? But here are the strong words. Look at this. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, we'll learn about them later on because Nicolaitans was an issue with another one of these churches, so we'll, get, we'll talk about that later. He says, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, now this is good. To the, now here's what the Spirit says to the churches. So God is speaking to the churches, but then the truth is, it all comes down to individual responsibility. You and me stand individually before God. All right? God addresses us as a church. He gives us a tailored message for our church. That's why it's always important to hear from your own pastor, as I've shared before, is because God gives a tailored message. And my heart, my desire is to try to hear clearly from God to give the tailored message for the church. But, but God gives this tailored message for this church, but then he, it all comes down to individual responsibility. You have to decide what you're going to do. Because look, it says to the one, to the person or the people, individuals, who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That word victorious means overcomer. It's that same term right there, okay? So I'm telling you guys, it's time to be an overcomer. I want you to be victorious. We're in a new season of intense stress. There's a different dimension of pain and sorrow. There's a new awareness even of evil that's around us. But here, get this. Overcomers love, they, they actually love aggressively. They love aggressively. That's one of the keys to overcoming Love is that term agape. It's this Greek term that we translate as love, but it doesn't really mean love like we think of it. We think of like, hey, baby, I love you. You know, that's, that's different. That's not agape. But this, the, in verse four, look, it's, Jesus says you have forsaken the love or the agape that you had 
at first. Agape is actually the central word of Christianity. Here's, here's really what it, what it is. It is the characteristic actions of God and true Christians. So again, it's the character of God. When you're born again, you actually begin to take upon yourself the character of God and his primary characteristic is agape. What it is, it's this. It's undefeatable benevolence. That's love. Your benevolence cannot be defeated. Love is this. It is unconquerable goodwill. (laughs) No one can conquer the goodwill that flows from you. That's agape. Agape, love, it always seeks the highest good of the other person. You're not hating on people. You're not thinking bad things. You're not wanting to pull people down or put them down or push them down. Pause right here. If anyone in this church is getting on social media talking about people, how that person, this person, I think this and this and I want to put them down, you're defying the word of God. You don't understand love and you need to correct that. Got it? If you're watching online, correct that. I'm seeing some of you guys put some stuff out there. There's just a bunch of, let's just call it BS, all right? Because it's not Christian. It is not Christian. It's not love. I want you guys to be overcomers. I want you to make it. Stop pulling and pushing down people and and defeating them with your words. Wrong, 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 wrong. Love is, I never said BS in a sermon before. Love is, it's just a new season. I mean, come on. Love is, well, the Bible talks about things like that, so I guess I'm not too far off, but Love is also self-giving. You are giving of themselves. You are giving of yourself. It, it, agape is this. It's actually a love of choice. It's not something that you necessarily feel at the moment. It is a choice I am going to love. And in this new season of, of uh, these, these, when we're here near the end of times, I'm just telling you one of the ways that you're really going to overcome is by living this thing out called love. Uh, for my Tim at 12 series that I did this spring, I did a complete exposition over several weeks of, of Matthew chapter 24 and 25, which is Jesus talking about what was going to be happening at the end of time. But one of the things that we see in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 is this. It says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Hello. Hello. I mean, come on, wake, that means wake up. Do not see this in the news, or let's just say in social media every day, 5,000 times a day, okay? I didn't create this. Jesus said this 2,000 years ago, but he's talking about the time right before the coming of the Lord, and he says, lawlessness, because it will increase most people's agape, that's the critical word I'm wanting you to see here, The context is lawlessness during the time of lawlessness. Okay, do we see it around us? No, we ain't seen nothing yet, but yeah, all right? Okay, during the time of lawlessness, it says that most people, but but most people's agape, but, but he's not talking about just general people across the world. No, he's actually, if, because he's using the term agape, agape is distinct to Christianity. It doesn't exist outside of Christianity because it's the character of God. So what he's talking about are Christians. He says Christians, basically their love, it's growing to grow cold. And that's what we see that was happening in the church of Ephesus right there. Are you getting this? All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, we see this also addressed. 
First Chief Peter 4, 7, just jot this down. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of a sober mind so that you may pray above all, agape, love each other deeply because the end of all things are near. You see the context again. This is a time, this is a season, this is a time to pull out the stops with loving each other. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. My goodness, do we not need that. My goodness. So I'm challenging you to agape aggressively. The subtitle for this message is take aggressive action. Aggressive action aggressively create an atmosphere of warmth around you, aggressively create an atmosphere of acceptance and forgiveness around you, aggressively pursue unity and respect for one another and a deep love for God, and you begin to do that, you are setting yourself up on the course to becoming an overcomer in these last days. See, our agape creates this environment where not only us, but others around us because it flows out to the others around us who we thrive and we grow and we'll be in peace and people will actually be attracted to us during these end times. See, love, agape, is the foundation of the whole Bible. Do do you realize this? That love actually has the power to cover a multitude of sins, like like sin's gonna go away because of love. That's, That's crazy amazing, but Jesus even said it also. He said, hey, He didn't say, hey, but it was earlier on. He said, if you just focus on loving God intensely and loving other people the same way you love yourself, you'll be able to do anything that's in the Bible. You you can fulfill all the commandments. Yeah, like they say, well, there's there's a commandment that says uh, you shall not steal. Well, you're not gonna have a problem with stealing if you're actually loving. So how do you begin to dodge sin? Instead of trying to focus on the sin, you begin focusing on your love for God and you begin loving other people like yourself and you're not gonna be stealing their stuff. Comprende? All right, we're Fort Worth, we can say that. All right, so, so here's the deal. Ultimately, every sin is a result of a lack of love for God or a lack of love for other people. That's why I'm teaching on the positive side of this today. Agape is kind of like this childlike love, like a little child just like, yeah, I love you, they're happy. But the thing is, you get that, but you have to work on it in your Christian life as you continue to grow. Now, Revelation chapter two, verse four says this. Look at this, it says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things, so repent and do the things you did at first, okay? For if you, if you do not repent, says it the second time about repenting, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Wow. What does repent mean? Repent means to do a 180. It involves action. And if you don't repent, he basically says, your church isn't going to exist anymore. That remove the lampstand. The lampstand represents the church, okay? So he's gonna remove the lampstand and the fire of God from his midst. Now, here's the deal. Keep in mind, if you do this, if you love intensely, you're going to also see the desire for sin diminish in your own life. Because overcomers change their actions. 
You overcome the thought processes of your soul that comes from the world. You, you conquer, you subdue this in your soul. You, you wrestle against the demonic forces that are wrestling against you. And that's where we do the battle. See, ultimately, Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you need to change your life. You need to change your life. And that's what it means to repent. Repentance means more than just saying, God, I'm sorry, and I'm gonna have a new action plan tomorrow. I'm gonna be nice. I'm gonna be nice, and I've got this whole action plan. You know, it's more than that, okay? Like, for example, uh, let's just take an extreme weird example. Let's say I, I, I tell Rebecca, I said, hey, hey, sweetheart, you know, I, I've gained like about 100 pounds this year, and, and uh, I, just, I, I just know it's wrong, and I'm deciding I'm going to repent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change. So uh, I'm going to cut back. You know how I eat like a, five desserts with every meal. Well, I'm going to stop doing that. And, and so here, here's the deal. I, I, I want to share this with you, and so I'm going to ask you to join me. We're, let's go out to the all-you-can-eat buffet, dessert buffet, uh, and, and let's go sit down, and we're going to talk through this. I'm going to share with you my plan of action on cutting back on desserts. Now, hold on. That's not change. That's not change at all. That's not repentance. All I did was say, I'm sorry. I'm going to share you a plan of action, but I'm going to keep on living the same way. See, Repentance means you're changing. When, you, when we say that, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that anymore, but you don't change, you're just lying, okay? And you're making it worse for yourself. So just stop that nonsense, okay? Here's a question. Who specifically do you need to love again like you used to love them? Come on, that's actually what Jesus was saying to this church. Go back and look at the way you used to love people. Now I want you to do that again. Now, now think specifically, because I can't answer this for any of you. What's happening in your mind right now is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Who in your life do you need to love like you've never like like you used to love them unconditionally? Who who can you who do you need to begin loving unconditionally? There may be great reason why you don't feel much love for them right now, but who who can you begin to love unconditionally? All right. Are you starting to make excuses in your mind? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, okay, yeah, but, all right. That's the mindset of the world, and I'm challenging you to overcome the world, to take aggressive action with some aggressive love and snuff out the worldly mindset that says, yeah, but. Be an overcomer. So you need to go back on social media and delete a bunch of the junk that I once called BS, the junk that you're putting out there. You need to go and just say, I'm, you know, I'm repenting of that. Well, I still want to leave that out there. No, you just need to get it out. Get rid of it. And actually start living this thing out. And I want to explain to you really the tragedy of what was happening in the Ephesus church, which could have happened. Now, to the best of our ability, we do know that this church became a very strong and vibrant church and, and really just began, it was a powerful move of God that happened in the city of Ephesus and eventually became the headquarters of the church in the Roman Empire. But uh, they had so much good going on. They had so much good teaching and good doctrine, and they had all the right ministries, but they were going through the motions, and they had lost their agape. They weren't loving people the way they used to love them. And Jesus is saying, if you keep this up, you're going to destroy yourself, but I want you to be an overcomer. Back in the 1970s, yeah, I was there. I was there where the cars are like tanks. 
And we wore shorts that were way too short, way, way, way too short. You know, when I was a teenager, dad explained to me about the rise and the fall of churches. And he said, son, I'll never forget this conversation. I remember, I remember where we were sitting in our little mobile home. And dad said, let me tell you about the rise and fall of churches. He said, he said, a church will begin with a passion, a deep love for God. And the people just really, really love each other. And it's incredible what happens in the church and the presence of God is there and God works miracles. But what happens over time, if that love is not nurtured, is it begins to fade away. They're, they're, people get offended at each other. Then there's relational strife. And other people think, well, I've got the Bible all figured out. And we have all the right ministries. We're doing the right thing. Look, we have a big steeple on our church. But they've missed this thing of having passion for each other. And my dad said, the church dries up. The people become bitter. The worship becomes stale and dead. And the fire, I remember dad saying this, the fire disappears. Just like Jesus said, I'm going to remove the lampstand. God takes the flame somewhere else. It's actually what, what my dad said is what Jesus said he would do in this church of Ephesus if they didn't put love up front and center again. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, whoever has ears, that means everybody, all right? Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to us. To the one who is victorious, in other words, the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Can you hear what Jesus is saying to us as an end time church? I want to give you the right to eat from the tree of life. What is the tree of life? The tree of life is simply this. We know it's in eternity, but it's, it's, uh, it is eternal life with God. Scripture talks about this at the, at the end of Revelation, that you'll be actually able to go to the tree of life and eat it, so you, you'll be able to stay alive forever because that's, that's in heaven. That's where God is. I want that. I mean, that's the tree Adam ate from, you know? But Jesus also said, I am the tree of life. So the tree of life is a promise to everyone who is an overcomer. The Apostle John said in 1 John uh, 5, 5, he, he makes it totally clear about the prerequisite to be an, being an overcomer. The first step is this. He says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in verse 11, he says this, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son, the tree of life. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know and that you may have eternal life. Please understand this. He's writing to the believers so that they will have eternal life. Could it be possible that you believe in God or you once believed in God, but you were not going to receive eternal life? Absolutely. I see that here and I see that in every one of these letters to the seven churches, which tells us that we need to continue our pursuit of God. I don't want you to live in fear that you're going to go to hell. I don't want you to live in that at all. I lived under that a lot when I was growing up, but, but I'm telling you, there's also this place where we've got to listen to the voice of God. Hear what the Spirit says to the church. Hear what the 
Spirit says to the church. And love, I don't want you to miss out on the tree of life. Because that love, when it's gone, it turns to bitterness and then hatred and selfishness. And then you begin to do everything that is contrary to God and his word and his church. I want you to overcome this world. Overcome this world. Because overcomers, agape, they love aggressively. I want to see some aggressive lovers in the house. I don't know if this is how Timothy conveyed this to his church in Ephesus, but I bet it was similar. He didn't have the advantage of knowing that eventually that would become the headquarters for the church worldwide at that time, but he did know God is serious and God is speaking to us today. We're living in troubled times. This is the time where we cannot be on the other side of letting our love grow cold because of the lawlessness that we're seeing around us. Don't let it happen. Do not let it happen. Uh, Guys, watch your lives. Watch your lives. Watch your lives. We all have individual responsibility. First and foremost here, I'd like for every head to be bowed in this room. Just, Just lock yourself in with God. And if you're here today, if you're watching online and you're not in relationship with Jesus, your sins have not been forgiven, you're not serving God. I'm telling you, now, first before I do anything else, this is a time for you to receive Jesus Christ into your life. So I want to pray for you right now. And if that's you, say, Pastor, I, I need, I want to receive Christ today. I, I, want, I want eternity. I want to receive Christ. Would you do a favor for me and just lift your hand in this room so that I can see it? Because I want to pray specifically for you. Thanks. Who else? Who else will be honest? Say, that. that's me. I, I need Jesus. Put your hands down. Thank you so much. Here's what I want us to do. Uh, so let's stand all over this room. Will you just stand all over this room? If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. Come on, I want you to mean it from the bottom of your heart. If you're watching online, I want you to pray these words out loud. Just say these words. Congregation, say it with those who are praying this prayer right now. Come on. Dear Jesus, I make the choice to repent of my sin. I w- I'm going to change. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your blood. Make me a new creation. Today I choose to follow you all the days of my life because I want to be in heaven and I want to be an overcomer. I choose to be victorious through my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.